Welcome, everyone. This is uh, Sean Eakins. I'm the general manager for the Sacramento Natural Food Co-op. Um, today, I'm here to talk about uh, the Co-op Scoop. It's our audio podcast, and we're going to be featuring interviews with farmers, food artisans, co-op movers and shakers, and even some bakers. Every week, we intend to bring you a large scoop of food knowledge, highlighting one of the most bountiful food regions in all the land. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Sean Eakins, the general manager at the Sacramento Natural Food Co-op. And uh, again, we're back with another uh, example of our co-op scoop. Um, Today, I'd really, uh, this is kind of something that just came up recently. And obviously, with this talk of COVID, this will be probably part of our conversation. But uh, I'm excited to introduce uh, the Bay Area Ranchers Co-op. It was founded to provide farming and ranching communities the greater Bay Area with USDA inspected animal harvest in a sustainable, non-competitive environment. Adam Parks is a rancher, owner of the Victorian Farmstead Meat Company in Sonoma County and a founding partner of the Bay Area Ranchers Co-op. Welcome, Adam. Hey, thanks for having me, Sean. Yeah, it's uh, been looking forward to this. I know we talked, it's probably been about five, six weeks ago, maybe longer, and uh Glad we're able to get uh, get you to spend a little time with us today. So I think yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, and I think the first thing I'd ask, um, I'm sure everybody, uh, you know, would love to hear a little bit about the your personal story and um, your background. Sure. So my wife Laura and I founded uh, Victorian Farmstead Meat Company in 2010, and we are a hyperlocal meat company specializing in meat raised here, local to Northern California. That definition has changed over the decade that we've been in business. Um, we actually started out of kind of necessity to feed my family. Uh, in 2008, we were in living in Stockton with our young children and uh, we're kind of in the eye of the storm of the housing crisis yes. and ended up losing everything, um, house, cars, businesses, et cetera. Um, I'd love to blame it all on the big corporate banks and everything, but it, there was plenty of bad decisions by myself that led to that. And we were very fortunate that we had a, a small house here on the family farm that my grandfather had purchased in 1972 when he re- uh, retired from the Air Force. And so we moved on to the back onto the family farm and the first order of business was to feed everybody. And so we bought up uh, 25 meat chicks and a couple of piglets. We had some sheep on the ranch mm-hmm. and uh, set about filling the freezers to uh, feed everyone. And in the course of doing that, um, kind of thought that there might be a better way to get all the incredible meats raised here in our local Marin and Sonoma counties to the consumer. And so we started doing some farmers markets. That was kind of the genesis of uh, of what is now Victorian Farmstead Meat Company. Nice, awesome. Um, and you know, I think uh, first and foremost, what what's the current picture of uh, the meat processing industry in California? <laughs> you know, it's it's an ever shrinking entity, uh, kind of the way it is across the country. Um, meat processing, both in terms of slaughter and in cut and wrap. Um, has over the decades shrunk as corporate ag has, uh, you know, such firmly established roots and has spread its um, its reach into squeezing out the small mom and pop butcher shops and uh, the small mom and pop slaughterhouses. Right. And what that's done is put a tremendous amount of pressure on local, small local ranches um, to find ways to get their animals processed and to keep them local. 
Um, it's kind of an odd juxtaposition in that we're, you know, our local ranchers are raising these incredible animals that they've, they've spent way more money and effort and time into producing than the corporate ag entities do. Um, and yet they're the ones that are forced to put these animals onto trailers and haul them, you know, upwards of eight hours at a time to get them processed. Right. Um, it's just really counterintuitive to the, their whole method of, of raising animals. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit, I mean, you mentioned it there, but talk a little bit further about the inefficiencies of our food supply, um, especially in regards to meat processing. Um, and you sure. mentioned as well, you know, ranchers and consumers are within 50 miles of each other, but that processing definitely is further away. Yeah. The one thing that this pandemic, uh, that we've all been through for the past year now is, has shown us is, you know, we have a really incredibly efficient delivery system in America. It doesn't matter what, you, whether you're talking about, you know, meat or food in general, or, you know, it doesn't matter whatever the consumer product is. Um, I needed a couple of mallets for my uh, butcher shop to crack crabs for crab season. I got on Amazon and had them delivered to me the next day. Yeah. That is incredibly efficient. The problem is it's also incredibly, um, and now I'm missing the word. It's also incredibly, uh, super efficient and yet super vulnerable. Um, that's not the word I want, but that's the one I'm going to use. Uh, so the, what it's proven is that our delivery system is super vulnerable to, um, to the slightest little tweak. Yes. And what, when you look back at what meat, what happened to the meat processing world, uh, as COVID started to spread in April and May and June, um, you had a couple of workers get sick in a Midwest meat packing plant. They spread COVID to the other workers there. And next thing you know, you've got 7% of the pork production in our country shut down overnight, uh, due to a pandemic. Um, they're just not that built to, uh, handle any kind of small stress or tweak. Whereas your local producers and your local slaughterhouses, um, are able to pivot on a dime. Um, that's been our whole method of doing business for decades, if not centuries is we have to be able to, uh, adjust to the changing circumstances. Right. Um, the day COVID broke out, my wife and I got together and we're talking about ways that we could help and, and, and make our products available. And one of the things that we did was we immediately offered home delivery, uh, for free for a couple of weeks, just to let people know that they could get that. And that, that is, uh, the greatest business decision we ever made. It turned our business, um, uh, around in overnight. Nice. And uh, now, you know, speaking about your co-op, um, how do you think that'll help solve um, this problem? And what other problems is your co-op, you know, working to or on solving? I, I think the, the the biggest thing that our co-op is doing is it's putting control of, of processing back into the hands of the ranchers. Um, what we learned when our only local processing option uh, closed down to local ranchers in December of 2019 was we were constantly at the whim of for-profit businesses. Right. And there's nothing wrong with for-profit businesses and, and the local processor that uh, shut everybody out was well within their rights to do it because it was their business, right? Um, but at the end of the day, we wanted to build something that was built by ranchers and for ranchers. And to us, what that means is by using the co-op model, we are able to make sure that the first the, the first priority, even before our investors, and we love and are super grateful for all our investors, but even before they're taken care of, that the ranchers are in control and that we decide um, how many animals we're going to process, 
We're going to decide um, when, uh, how the schedule works. We're going to decide what the fees are. Um, and that keeps the ranchers' needs uh, first and foremost in everybody's minds and allows for our ranchers and our members to make sure that they are getting taken care of first. Right. And uh, what phase are, uh, is the co-op in now? Are you uh, still in the fundraising phase? Yeah, I mean, we're getting to the end of the fundraising phase. Um, that doesn't mean we won't gladly accept, uh, uh, you know, anybody that wants to invest with us. Um, we uh, this has all happened extremely quickly. Uh, we formed ourselves as a legal co-op in uh, on July 28th of 2020. Um, we started fundraising with a goal of uh, 1.2 million dollars in October um, of 2020, uh, 2020, and uh, currently we are right at about uh, a million to a million one, depending on what happens in the next few hours. Um, <laughs> we uh, we are super excited that we all indications point to we'll meet our fundraising goals. We've ordered our uh, mobile harvest unit. Um, and it is scheduled to arrive at the end of April and we plan on being operational the first part of June. Okay. That's what I was going to ask next, uh, looking for space or uh, a mobile facility. So it sounds like, uh, going mobile. Well, a mobile harvest unit, it, it, you know, in our sense, um, it's more like owning a mobile home. Right. Um, it can be moved. It's on wheels, but the reality of it is we don't want to move it any more than we absolutely have to. Um, when you look at, at the various other entities that have attempted to uh, bring mo mobile harvest units into various areas across the country, and we've studied all of them, um, the, the key factor is anytime that you are driving to and from a sla uh, slaughter site, um, breaking down or setting up, you're not harvesting animals, you're not making money. Right. And for this to pencil out and be profitable, and profit's a weird word in the co-op world, but we can talk more about that later if you like. Um, but in order for this business to be sustainable at any rate, um, we have to be harvesting and processing animals. And so we have a uh, uh, permanent site that we plan on housing our MSU, and uh, we look forward to getting it operational. And, and it should be within about 50 miles of the vast majority of our members. So drastically cutting down on carbon footprints, travel times, hours wasted behind the windshield, that sort of thing. Yes. How, uh, how long do you think it'll be before you're fully functional in that facility? Well, I mean, functional, we anticipate being functional from day one. We're okay. in the hiring process right now looking for, uh, we're in the interview process with a few people regarding our position, open positions of general manager, harvest manager, and business manager. Um, but we intend, um, we currently have 35 members, uh, 17 founding members, and then 18 uh, members that were just approved by the board in February um, as our first wave of new members. And if we look at the anticipated uh, harvest needs of those 35 members, we figure that satisfies about 60% of our capacity. Um, we don't intend to go over 80% of our capacity initially. Okay. Um, reason being is we want to make sure that we're taking care of, of who we have, uh, right now first and making sure that we are getting animals processed in a timely fashion. They're being delivered to the proper cut and wrap facilities, et cetera. Um, before we go above 80% capacity. Okay. Um, and as a co-op, uh, how do you think your facility is going to be different than other processing facilities beside the closer proximity? 
Um, I think in addition to proximity, again, it goes back to our motto and our mission statement of being by ranchers for ranchers. Um, this is a, uh, by design, we'll never compete with our ranchers, with our members. Um, that's one of the challenges we've had with uh, other processors that we've used is ultimately, for instance, the reason that that uh, we were shut out of the local processor is because they would only process um, animals under their own label. Um, the Barrier Ranchers Co-op, I, I always say that it's kind of like uh, the Barrier Ranchers Co-op is kind of like an offensive lineman or a, a referee at a sporting event. If everything goes according to plan, no consumer will ever hear about us. Right. Um, we don't. We don't want that brand. We, you'll never find Barrier Ranchers Co-op uh, ground beef or Barrier Ranchers Co-op pork chops in your local grocery store. Um, our business is processing animals for our ranchers and allowing them to do what they do best, and that is direct to consumer marketing. Awesome. Um, can you talk a little bit about the supply and demand for sustainability uh, or sustainably and humanely raised meat like you and your partners are raising? Sure. It's, you know, it's always, it's, it's weird to me that it's such a foreign concept to so many people. Although I think that COVID um, shook the trees a little bit. Yeah. And uh, I know when I look at my business, Victorian Farmstead and the changes that have happened since March 13th of last year, um, there has been a tremendous change in the number of consumers that have found us, learned about us and stayed with us. And I know that's the same for many of our uh, Barrier Ranchers Co-op members. Um, they were, our members were able to adapt very quickly. Um, you know, the restaurant business all but dried up, uh, almost immediately and, uh, almost to a ranch, all our members were able to adapt and adjust and, uh, find other ways to market their meats, uh, directly to the consumer. And I think that that is, um, when you look at supply and demand, uh, it has created a massive shift in demand to, uh, local product, locally produced meats. And when I say a massive shift, it doesn't mean that, you know, we're going to take over, you know, big ag or CAFO type operations. What it means is in our little sector of the world, um, we have not only managed to attain a tenth of 1% of the market share, um, which is a massive jump for us, but we've also been able to sustain that and, and to maintain that over the course of the year, even as people were able to get back to the grocery store and shop for factory farm meats and whatnot. We found that many of the co consumers that found us um, stayed with us. And that's a massive win for small, sustainable uh, producers and ranchers. Yes, no, that's for sure. I think uh, I've seen that now in a couple locations here as well, you know, with uh, even people trying produce, uh, you know, and, and these meats uh, for the first time that maybe consider them to be pricey or expensive. I think uh, everything we've heard is that these kind of diets, you know, are really helpful in this uh, pandemic environment. And uh, I think, you know, and speaking of the um, supply chain, you know, we haven't seen those same gaps uh, here at uh, consumer level either. So um, and I the, the next thing I'd ask, too, and in, in talking about that is, uh, people that are concerned about food safety issues with their meat, how is a small local supplier different? I think it's different in a number of ways. Um, when you look at these massive factory farms and massive uh, factory processing plants, you know, they, they spend tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars every year on lawyers and accountants and whatnot that tell them how many people they can make sick before they have to recall something or pull it off the shelf or change their practices. Uh, we don't have that luxury. We have one shot, right? We make one person sick. Um, we get shut down for good um, because we don't have any desire or any money to spend towards uh, changing that. 
Um, so, you know, I always, you know, I've had many, many conversations over the decade that I've been in business with USDA people and whatnot. And, and the one thing that I've always told them is, look, you, you can inspect me every day, all day, because nobody's going to be cleaner than my business. Nobody's going to take better care of the consumers. Nobody's going to take more concern with the products than I do because I can't afford to get one single person sick. Um, that goes for all our members as well. We all have the same mentality towards that. So when you look at a small processing op, uh, operation like we're building and like exists in, in other areas, um, they have a much more heightened concern for the well-being of the animals, the well-being of the product, and then ultimately the well-being of the consumer because they don't have that luxury of being able to figure out how many people they can get sick before they have to shut down. Um, they don't have that that, ch- that choice. Right. So a uh, quick question just for you personally, uh, obviously you're passionate about food and cooking. Uh, what's one of your favorite dishes as we head into the uh, warmer weather? Uh, you know, anytime somebody asks me that, I always go to the low and slow cooks, right? Because yeah. I mean, the the lesser cuts, the, the cuts that people don't think about um, are generally more flavorful. Um, you know, I can sell filet mignon all day long. It is absolutely my least favorite cut of meat out there. Um, there's just no fat, no flavor, um, to it. And, uh, so I understand why people like it. Um, it's to me, it's the boneless skinless chicken breast of the beef. Um, I'll be honest with you. One of my favorite, and this is going to sound weird, but one of my favorite meals of all time is lamb carnitas from the lamb neck. Um, if you take a lamb neck and you braise it in beer and onions and some citrus, and then you shred the meat off those bones and put it on a silpat in the oven and blast it at about 450 degrees for a few minutes and crisp it up. Uh, those lamb carnitas make killer tacos with a little uh, tzatziki. Um, it's really nice. That uh, sounds delicious. And uh, I agree. I think that goes in line, too, with the center cut pork chop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I get it. Uh, I get the convenience and, and we sell more boneless, skinless pork, uh, chicken breasts than I like to admit. Um, I try to, you know, I talk to people all the time about, hey, just buy the whole chicken, use the whole thing. Here's how. Yes. Um, if you go to our website, there's a video on how to break it down. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're happy to sell people what they want. Um, but uh, 99% of my joy in my business is educating people and talking to them about what they eat, how they cook and and uh, that's the fun part for me. Yes. So I have a quick question. Uh, Sacramento uh, on your uh, in your purview? Man, it has been on my purview for de- a decade now. Um, I uh, we our business started out. Victorian Farmstead Meat Company started out doing uh, primarily farmers markets, and and in the last year we've grown substantially, and we do uh, home delivery all over the Bay Area. We do uh, overnight shipping. I absolutely service Sacramento in terms of overnight shipping. Um, I can ship upwards of 25, 30 pounds of meat overnight for 25 bucks anywhere in the Western United States. Um, But uh, I I know that we would do well in Sacramento and it is definitely on my radar. I have this dream kind of, we're in the process of building a new butcher shop in Sebastopol, our hometown. Okay. And uh, Once that's up and running, um, the next major project for me is, I've had this dream of buying a, a, a used up food truck and converting it into a, a mobile farmer's market butcher shop. Nice. Um, one of the things about the way we do butcher, or the way we do farmer's markets right now is it's fairly labor intensive in terms of we're one of the few uh, meat vendors at farmer's markets that sells fresh meat. Most uh, farmer's markets, meat vendors sell frozen. Yeah. And so because we do fresh, we have to haul a ton of ice with us. The display takes a long time to set up and tear down. 
And I think that uh, I've got this project in my mind of building out a food truck where you can flip the side up and you're open and uh, everything's refrigerated on the inside. Um, and uh, one of the places that we are looking forward to expanding to is the Sacramento Valley for sure. Awesome. Maybe a, maybe a co-op collab some at some point. Yeah, I'd love that. <laughs> Um, then another quick question um, for fundraising. Um, is there any site specifically uh, people could go to? Yeah, everything kind of starts with uh, our website, which is definitely a work in progress. Uh, BayAreaRanchers.com is our, our website, and you can definitely get all the links you need there. Um, you'll also see our founding members there and links to their websites. Uh, one of the big questions we get is how can I support you know, I, I'm, I'm not an investor, but how can I support you guys and your individual ranches and whatnot? And you'll find links to everybody's uh, business there. Um, you'll also find a link to, we have two uh, main fundraising initiatives. Um, the main one is our series one preferred stock offering. And these are both stock offerings. You're not just donating money. Um, there are dividends. And the nice thing about a co-op um, kind of a sidebar here is we get asked a lot about, well, how are the dividends based on profits if you're a co-op? They're not, they're based on your investment. So if you invest $10,000, um, your dividends are going to be based on as a percentage of that $10,000. Yes. Um, so when we look at profits for the co-op, that's all money that goes back into the, uh, um, to the members capital account. Um, after our investors are paid, our, our investor dividends are considered an expense. So you can invest uh, in our series one from $50,000 on up to a million dollars. Um, we've raised about $800,000 through that vehicle so far. Um, and I am the investor coordinator for Bay Area Ranchers Co-op. And uh, so my number is 707-332-4605. You're welcome to call me directly on any of these investments. Um, the other uh, investment vehicle that we have is a, uh, reg CF, um, which is a crowdfunded investment. Um, it is, uh, uh, done through, uh, the SEC. Um, we have to, we use a portal called WeFunder, W-E-F-U-N-D-E-R.com, um, as we're required to by the SEC. And you can invest between 500 and up to $50,000 through that on your own. You can also give me a call if you have any questions or want to discuss it first. Um, but that's that allows non-accredited investors um, that just want to pitch in and be part of the solution um, to invest uh, smaller amounts and every dollar matters. So if there is uh, if, if you're thinking about investing and you have questions, you can absolutely give me a call. Um, any uh, investments between twenty five thousand and fifty thousand dollars that go through WeFunder, um, we don't have to pay the fees on. So heads up on those would be awesome. Um, but we're so grateful for all the people that have invested with us and uh, helped us make this uh, uh, a reality starting uh, around the 1st of June. And what's uh, what's that number again? So everyone hears that. My phone number is 707-332-4605. And you can email me at adam at vic, V as in Victor, I-C, farmmeats.com. All right. And, uh, you know, what else would you like for our consumers or consumers in general to think about when choosing meat? Uh, you know, I think that the, the big thing that I think all of my member ranches would agree with me on is um, think about it the same way you think about any other major purchase. I mean, how much time do we spend evaluating a car when we buy a new car, right? 
Um, I just I just happened to buy a new pickup the other day, and uh, it took me weeks of research and whatnot to find who's the best dealer, who's going to take the best care of me, who can I trust. And I think that the the resounding word that we think about in our uh, scope is trust. Yeah. My customers yeah. trust me. Uh, Sarah Silva's customers at Green Star Farms trust her. Um, Kevin Maloney's customers at Fallon Hills Ranch trust him. And I think if you, you when you're and it does, it's not just about meat, but when you're when you're buying food for your family, I don't think it's really doing your family a good service if your trust is put in a large grocery store. Um, I still go to Safeway. I mean, everybody needs toilet paper. Everybody needs toothpaste. I mean, it's got its place. But when you're talking about the proteins or the fruits and vegetables that you're going to feed your family, you ought to know where they're coming from and who's raising them and what they're eating and, and how they're processed. And we should put the same care into purchasing our food that we do into any other major purchase in our life because that's what's nourishing us, right? That's what's going to keep us healthy. People wonder why um, factory farmed food is so cheap. And it's, uh, it's because we've decided in this country that it's less expensive to uh, fix somebody that's sick rather than just keep them healthy on the front end. And I'm not really sure where we came to that decision. Um, but I know for the vast majority of my customers, they've made a decision the other way that food really is medicine and it's what's going to keep us uh, healthy for the decades to come. Um, we all have longer lifespans than we did 50, 100 years ago. And the only way that continues is if we put good food in our bodies, whether it's meat or fruits and vegetables or fish. And uh, that trust that you have in the people that you buy your food from, I think, is paramount to making sure that you get um, the right stuff and the right proteins and the right vegetables and v minerals and vitamins and all that. And uh, that's where you can really do your family a great service is to make sure you know who's providing that food for you. Couldn't have said it better myself. And I think, uh, you know, to me, I look at the cooperative model and I think it's uh, kind of one of the last bastions of, uh, you know, this fight against uh, consolidation, what we see in the grocery markets. And like you said, uh, meets now in the hands of uh, four businesses across the country. And uh, seems like that just keeps uh, condensing, you know, into fewer and fewer hands. So it's, uh, you know, I think even more important today to uh, support, you know, ranchers. And that's why, you know, I really wanted to have you on here and, um, you know, and uh, hopefully we, uh, we can talk further about uh, partnerships in the future, but uh, we'll uh, get, get all that information posted. So anyone that's interested in uh, taking a look at what you're doing and uh, I think it's so important and I hear it up here as well. Some of the local ranchers we work with, you know, they have to go, down uh, south quite a ways to get their uh, meat processed, which I think goes against everything that they do on the uh, on their own business. So um, definitely something to view and uh, and to value. So I uh, I appreciate you taking time out today to talk to us, and uh, I uh, am impressed how quickly you were able to turn this around for those local uh, ranchers out there. And uh, here's to future success. So. Well, thanks, John. I really appreciate the opportunity. It was uh, the the beauty of the co-op model is that it um, many hands make light work, and and we've proven that with this. Uh, you know, we can have some fairly lengthy board meetings because there's nine of us, but at the same time, we're spreading out that labor. That's the only reason we were able to get so much accomplished in in the nine months since we've uh, formed as a co-op is because everybody pitched in equally. And it's been uh, so far so good. We're really looking forward to being operational and proving that all this works. Awesome. Well, uh, you'll be hearing from us again. We'll uh, we'll keep this conversation going. And uh, I, uh, I appreciate everything you're doing out there. Thanks, Sean. Talk soon.